Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is sponsored by the WT Enterprise Center. The Enterprise Center is an essential part of Amarillo's entrepreneurial community. For more than 15 years, the center has been helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. Learn more and get help taking your business to the next level at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Hey Amarillo is also sponsored by Wick Realty, who recently helped us sell our home. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, selling, building, or looking for investment property, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents and visit Wick Realty, W-I-E-C-K Realty.com. Today's guest is Patrick Burns, who owns Palace Coffee with his wife, Crystal. Now, we end up talking about Palace all the time on this show. It comes up organically as an answer to one of my standard eight straight questions. So I thought it was time to have Patrick on as a guest himself. Now, as entrepreneurs, he and Crystal have a fascinating story in their own right. And Palace hasn't just played a huge role in the revitalization of Canyon Square and of Polk Street in Amarillo, but Palace has also put Amarillo and Canyon on the map in the world's craft coffee community. I love Patrick's perspective on business and serving customers, and I think you'll love this episode. So here's Patrick Burns. Patrick Burns, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Well, Thanks thank for being you, here. Jason Boyette. I love being on a podcast that I listen to regularly. So. Well, good. I love that you listen to it regularly. I do. So. Well, obviously, we uh, we should talk about Palace, and that's a big part of what I want our discussion to be, but... I'd like to hear a little bit about you know your life before coffee and all that stuff. There so was some life before I, coffee. I assume there was. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, I mean, first tell me how you ended up in this area. Well, it wasn't by choice, uh, honestly. Like a lot of people that weren't born in Amarillo, I came here with my family. So, but I got here pretty quick. I was two years old whenever the moving truck came into Amarillo. Uh, my dad helped start the Harrington Cancer Center. Okay. Uh, and so that brought him up to this area. So he lived here for six months to a year, getting that off of the ground. And then what did he, he do? Um, he was the director of radiation, radiation therapy. Okay. Uh, so then he ran that and then he kind of moved up. Um, and eventually he became the chief operations officer for the entire center. Uh, so Harrington Cancer Center, that, that place is pretty important for our family. It got us up here and my dad put a lot of work in, into that place. So You went to school here? I did. So we grew up in Southwest Amarillo. So we went up through the Canyon Independent School District System. So I went to Valley View, which actually isn't there anymore right. for, for, for a middle school. But I went to Gene Howe, went to Arden Road whenever that first was built, and then graduated from Randall High. Have a lot of good friends that, that, you know, we have from then. But the most important thing about Randall was that's when I started dating my wife. Okay. Yeah, so, so you met Crystal. I met Crystal, yeah. Randall. So um, actually, we've known each other since we were 11. Uh, but then we started dating our senior year in high school, worked together um, at a clothing store in the mall, and uh, got married a couple years after high school. Did you go to college or do anything like that? I didn't. So that high school job that, that I had at the mall, believe it or not, I loved it so much so I thought I could make a career out of it. I'm one of those weird people that really enjoys retail. I enjoy being around different types of people. I guess stressful situations also is something I'm used to. So, you know, I, I love the job and I had a, a great company to work for that had a really positive effect on my life. And I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. Honestly, I, want, I thought I'd, you know, grow up and be fashionable and wear cool clothes all the time and, and talk to people about fashion. And so by the time I was 19 years old, me and, me and Crystal were newly married after about three months of marriage. They asked us to move to Albuquerque, New Mexico and okay. take over a store. So I had been there briefly to go find a place to live and, you know, packed up a moving truck and moved th- three months after marriage. It's pretty daunting. Yeah, uh, it's it's very stressful on a young couple, but we made it work. And so we lived out in Albuquerque, and we thought, hey, we're doing what we're supposed to do. You know, get out of your small town, out of your small city. When you're a kid, you definitely don't think that you want to stay. Right. Uh, you you want to go off and go live in the big city and make a name for yourself. And so this was our first step into doing that. Even though it was four hours away, it was a pretty safe move for us. But Albuquerque was a way different environment. It was good for us in a lot of ways, and it was also very difficult in a lot of ways. After we'd come back and visit the family, you know, every six months or a year, we started noticing that there were things about Amarillo that we missed, things that we never thought we would miss. We thought that Amarillo was green for the first time, which, you know, Mm. being in New Mexico, yeah, in Albuquerque, you definitely start to really understand what brown is. Right. Uh, So we'd come back and we'd see brick houses again, and we'd see 
some grass and we'd be like, oh my gosh, it's so green here. It's great. And so whenever we decided to talk about growing our family and having kiddos, we thought that maybe moving back home wasn't the worst idea in the world, that maybe it would be good for us. And so two and a half years into Albuquerque, we got pregnant and decided to move back home. So we came back to Amarillo. What year was that? That was in 2001. You know, at what point did you start thinking about the coffee world? I mean, was was that something that you, you had always been a coffee drinker or had you been interested in the process or any of that? I mean, how did that develop? The funny thing about how I got in the coffee world, it wasn't based on coffee. It was based on people. I always enjoyed being around people and, and having short conversations with them. And and so when we moved back to Amarillo, I got a chance to work a few different jobs to make ends meet because mm-hmm. now I'm a dad. Uh, I got to make sure that we can put food on the table. So I actually ended up working at a restaurant, uh, one of the nicer restaurants in town. I actually, Macaroni Joe's, I managed that restaurant for a little bit. I went just to go wait tables. And after six weeks of being there, the Ludis, who were the original owners of it, asked me to take on management. And so I got to work for a family that started something from the ground up. And being led into their inner circle on decision making, and it made me want to do that for my family. We I eventually wanted to open up something that I, I could put my stamp on. And after working in the restaurant world for another year and a half, two years with them, I knew that I didn't want to open a restaurant. I saw the stress and the late hours, and it took a toll just even on my family. Even being a manager, I was up there late every night, and I wanted to be around a little bit more. And so I left that job and ended up working in a job downtown. I thought, you know what, if I'm going to open something, I want it to be something that fits my personality, that I get to be around people on a regular basis. And at a restaurant, it's great because you have regulars, but a lot of time at the restaurant, the regulars come in maybe once or twice a week. Right. So I started thinking about, well, where can you be around people that they come around even more and you really get to know people? And the coffee shop just kind of became the concept that, consumed my thoughts of, you know, at a coffee shop, people come in once a day, sometimes even twice a day, depending on where they work. That became the, I guess, impetus uh, of, of where we are today. So I found a great building downtown that I wanted to put a coffee shop in. In downtown Amarillo. In downtown Amarillo, actually. Um, me, and, me and my wife, Crystal, we, we went and looked at this building and it was great. It was on Polk Street. Uh, it was uh, at the corner of 9th and Polk. Uh, and we met with the owner and said, Hey, listen, we love this building. We want to put a coffee shop in it. What's the, what's the rent like? And, and what do we have to do to do it? And so she did some asbestos testing for us. And we're like, man, this is going to be great. Keep in mind, I've never worked in coffee before. Mm -hmm. Uh, never opened a business before. We're now have two young boys at home. We're in our mid to late twenties and actually earlier than that, probably like 23, 24, and so we figured, you know, we might need to get some advice on this. So we went to the Small Business Development Center uh, and met with a guy and said, hey, listen, we have this idea. We want to open a coffee shop in downtown Amarillo. Downtown Amarillo doesn't have one. So what do you think about our idea? This is the building we're looking at. And he goes, you know what? That's a great idea. Can I see your business plan? And said, what's that? That's, that was my <laughs> actual response. What is a business plan? I, I, I didn't go to college. I, I never took business classes. He goes, well... You might want to make sure that your idea can actually be a fully fledged business before you put anything into it or any resources. So he gave me a little worksheet to take home and to start filling out a business plan. And it didn't take me very long to figure out that I didn't have the key things it took to start a business. One was experience in the industry, never worked in coffee. Two was money behind us. It was just a good idea. We didn't have investors. We didn't have a bank behind us to do it. And three really was the, the time and effort to put into it at the time. When you start a business, you've got to be able to go for broke and work 80, 90, 100 hours a week. And I didn't want to give up my family time. So the idea was great. The location was great, but the timing was horrible. So we decided to just put that on the back burner. I had a chance to to go and work a few other different jobs. And one of those jobs I actually worked for a, a local church. Uh, after doing a few different jobs inside that local church, they wanted to put a coffee shop and a bookstore in. And they knew that I had a business plan. They knew that I had a desire to open a coffee shop at some point. So they brought me over from one department and they had me head up another department that was in charge of it. So for a year to two years, I got to create a coffee shop and and learn how to run a profit and loss statement and do inventory control and everything that it takes to actually run a business. So there was my experience right there. Yeah. And it was really cool because I was guaranteed a paycheck. 
not a lot of business owners are guaranteed a paycheck when they first start out. And so I got to do that for a few years and got the experience. I got to travel quite a bit and go into different uh, conventions or expos uh, for the coffee community. And I got to network and, and see what the coffee community was like outside of our little small region. And it opened my eyes to a lot of different things that I didn't know were important in coffee. I thought coffee was just, you know, getting hot milk and espresso and, and syrup and, and a cup as fast as you can and serve it to people so they can be on their way. But I got to see, you know, that coffee can be a lot more of a craft. Mm-hmm. And that kind of excited me because I came from the world of, of macaroni joes, which was wine and fine dining. And so I started thinking about, well, maybe, you know, maybe there is something to doing coffee a little bit differently than what I know. And so that led me down the path of wanting to do coffee different. And and at the time, Amarillo had, you know, roasters had been a long time, mm-hmm. a local coffee shop. Yeah, Marshall's was around. Marshall's right. was around. But it it wasn't yet that really intense coffee culture yeah. like you might find in, in larger cities. Yeah, that, and I would say, so this is back around 2009. And I would say that even outside of large cities, mid-sized cities, that that coffee culture wasn't prevalent yet. You were seeing it maybe on the, maybe on the West coast and the East coast, you know, San Francisco, LA, Seattle, uh, New York, Chicago, but most other mid market cities, you weren't seeing that style of craft coffee. That was something that was new for a lot of people. And I didn't know that it would ever work here. Me and my wife, we took a trip. My parents had moved to North Carolina, um, by this time. And so we put our kids in the car for Christmas and we drove 24 hours in a car to North Carolina. My kids are great travelers, so that wasn't uh, a big deal. It would have to be. Yeah. yeah. And so that just gives us gave us a lot of time to talk about our hopes and dreams and desires. And Crystal knew that my time working for a church was short-lived, that it wasn't something I wanted to do forever. And so she asked if it was time for us to start looking at potentially the dream again, you know, bringing that to fruition. And so started talking about what we'd have to do to make it happen. And knowing the other business owners, knowing that it's it's a tough life, we knew that we'd have to learn how to live off of a meager budget. We, you're not guaranteed a paycheck. And so we decided to spend that next year paying off any debt that we had mm-hmm. and learn to live off of one income. And she decided that, you know, she would keep a full-time job that had insurance so I could pursue this dream of owning a, a, a coffee shop. And really that's all the dream was, was just to own one little coffee shop that I could work at every day and hang out with people. And we didn't know where it would be, though. So we got into the, the vein of craft coffee, but we didn't know that it would work here in this region. We thought we might have to move. We thought we might have to move to Austin or Dallas or Tulsa, honestly, was a big community that we were looking at. We thought it would be a great place to put a shop in. And I was sitting actually at a coffee shop in Louisville, Kentucky. I was doing a weird thing. I was teaching churches how to put in coffee shops at a conference. And so Every time that we weren't at the conference, I was hanging out on this really cool strip of town called Baxter Avenue, and there was a coffee shop called Quills there, and it was packed all the time. And I started getting to know the manager there and asked why they were busy all the time. The coffee was great, and and he said, you know, we've got two little colleges right off of Baxter Avenue, and so all the college kids come in here and hang out, and they study. And so we're really full almost from the time we open to the time we close. And so it started making me think about instead of going to a bigger city, why don't we look at going to a smaller college town and why don't we try to find a college town that really needs a place for community? And so I called Crystal. I was sitting there and said, Hey, what if we didn't have to move to start a coffee shop? What if we actually could do the coffee shop that we wanted to right in our own backyard? She's like, well, that'd be great. I'd rather not move again. So when I got back in town, we decided to take a little drive to Canyon. It was actually our anniversary dinner. We drove down there and we drove around the town and we found a a few places that we thought a coffee shop could work. And then two days later, we went and met with one of the building owners on the square uh, and he gave me the keys right there. He wasn't worried about us, you know, taking anything. The building that we went into down there was falling apart. It was the old Palace Hotel. It was built in 1906, Uh, 1912 to 1960. It became the Palace Hotel. And so we decided to work with the owner and then the CEDC came along and they put in some money for the renovations and little 16 months later, we, uh, we opened a coffee shop. And the square was not the square back then. I mean, it was, there's a hardware store, you yeah, know, there, there was were Johnson's a, hardware that was there. Sacramon's was there, you know, but it was not the, the place to be in Canyon. No, it wasn't. So the reason why we wanted to go to Canyon is, is Canyon has always been a, a town that had a college. It never really felt like a college town. Uh, the college kids stayed on their part of 23rd and, and the people in Canyon stayed in their part of, of the community. And I wanted to showcase that 
the college is, is really important for that community. And the college kids need to know that that community is a really great place to, to be a part of. And so I figured if we could create an environment where they, everybody felt welcome, where it wasn't just a college coffee shop and it wasn't just a community coffee shop where, but where everybody could kind of mix and rub elbows, they could see each other for who they really are and how important they are. And so that's why going to the square was important for us because we got a lot of flack. People told us we wouldn't succeed because we're going on. You're too what, far away. You're too yeah. far away from the college. Like you got to be right there. But if you're just a college coffee shop, well, what happens when the college kids aren't there? Well, then you're not going to do much business and the community's not going to, you know, embrace it as much. And so I thought that going into an old building that meant something to the community could be important. And that was a great old building. It's on the historical registry um, for Texas for a historical building. It's the Smith building. And so being able to take something that meant so much to that community for years and make it worthwhile again, I thought was a, a, a pretty good way to go about it. And then taking the name Palace, which, you know, wasn't existent anymore and, and making that a core part of who we are was pretty cool, I think. And I, I know you're pretty <laughs> humble about it, but just from my outside perspective, Palace going into the square and starting to drive traffic there really served as a catalyst for a lot of the other things. I, I feel like it gave at least Canyon's business owners and entrepreneurs could see what that could be. And so you being in there, you know, the vote to uh, allow alcohol sales within the city, all those things kind of happened. And then now it's just this place with all these great restaurants with a lot of nightlife. I mean, there you drive down there at seven in the evening and it's packed. You, you might not want to stay, say that, but I think that started with, with Palace. I think, I think that we were a, a part of what changed the culture down there. I think a big part of that, too, which happened to be at the same time that we went down there, was they actually changed the facade of the courthouse. Right, and they've and, done and the renovations. They, yeah, they made the renovations, which made the, the, the square pretty. And I think all of that kind of coming together at the same time helped. And so I, I do think we were a part of it. Um, and it's really kind of you to say that you know we, we were a big part of it. Uh, but there's a lot of cool things that are going on. And we're we're really, really happy now that we're seven years in to kind of see the changes happen down there. And so now at this point, you know, Palace has multiple locations in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become not just a part of the coffee culture, but of the, the entire business community. I mean, I have meetings at Palace all the time. But beyond that, I, I want to talk about some of the success that you had in the national or international coffee world. Because one of the things that strikes me, and this is, I mean, this is anecdotal, but I've been places and I've mentioned Palace Coffee to baristas and people who know that world and they know Palace. They know Amarillo and Canyon. You, you guys are on this, this national map of people who really care about craft coffee. So tell me how that happened with some of the awards and stuff that you've gotten. So by traveling quite a bit whenever we were first starting out, even before we opened Palace, we got to see that there were coffee competitions and it was really odd going into it, not knowing what a coffee competition looked like, how important it was to our industry. But once we got there, we got to see that that's really a network of really high-end coffee shops that are pushing the envelope. They're, they're creating conversations in the coffee world and, and trying to do things that are better for our industry at large. And so most of these shops were mainly represented by bigger city shops and I'm someone who really believes that small town America matters and that there's great things here that people tend to overlook. And so I decided to put a chip on my shoulder and to start seeing how we stacked up against these bigger city shops that people really knew about. And so within one year of opening our shop, we decided to take a team um, to go out and try a regional competition to see how we did. I competed and I I had one or two other breezes that went up with us and competed in different elements of it. And we actually did really well, so well that two of our guys actually got invited to compete at the U.S. level. Um, I missed that U.S. level that year in, in my competition, but they made it. And so then we got to go to the U.S. level and compete there. And that's where there's the big expo, which has ten to 12,000 coffee professionals and all in one place. And instead of just going there and competing, we decided to start volunteering and actually helping run the competitions and just, you know, washing dishes or scorekeeping or timekeeping or whatever it took to make that event happen because it's run by volunteers in a lot of ways. And so we started going out there and not only were we good at 
competing and getting our name out there that way. But then also behind the scenes, we started just helping people and volunteering. And, you know, if someone was competing and they didn't have a coach, we would go over there and help taste coffee with them and talk to them. And so we just wanted to take the hospitality, which is the core of who we are at Palace. We like serving coffee. That's important. That's who we are because that's the product that we serve. But we love taking care of people because people matter. And so no matter where we go, if Palace is what we're about, then we're going to try to value whoever's in front of us. And so if someone needs help, we're going to help them. And I think it was through that, uh, through years of competing and, and doing well in competition, but also the back end of it, which was just serving and taking care of people, that our name started to become recognized. Uh, so much so that we actually went and competed in a, another competition at Coffee Fest, which was the America's Best Coffee House competition. That was a great competition because it's actually a live bar setting. We take a team and we go and we serve coffee to a bunch of people at, at, over a 30 minute period. And we ended up winning our region that year. And then we got invited to the national competition and we actually won nationals that year. So, and that's uh, a competition that's not about creating a single coffee drink that gets judged. It's about the entire process, how you interact with customers. It's setting up the shop. Are. Yeah. I mean, you have to, it's, you have to go into your, your bar, just like you're setting up for the day. So you have to dial in your shots and, and be clean about it and, and taste your coffee. And there's judges that watch you. And then there's people that score your drinks. And so it was, to me, it's a real true competition mm-hmm. because it shows what the everyday barista has to do so much so that you even have to get judged on how you clean up and where you throw your trash at the end of the night. Like it's a crazy competition, but we did really well. And, and, and we won that one. We, we won against shops from big cities, a shop from Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, DC, Seattle, and New York city. And then little old us from yeah, Amarillo Canyon. At that point where people like, who are these guys? What's, yeah. what's happening here? And where's Canyon? Where's Amarillo? People had no idea that that competition um, was up in the Northwest and, uh, they definitely thought that we were either somewhere, little place right around Austin or Houston. They didn't believe that a, a coffee shop in the middle of nowhere in Texas could actually do what we did, which was really cool, though. I want to talk about not not necessarily your business model, but your the culture that you've created. Because you know, when I've talked with you in the past, um, you don't talk a lot about coffee or about let's you know all these drinks that that you want to create it's it's about the people and it's about how you serve the people how do you in hiring employees and hiring baristas and creating a team how do you make sure that that service aspect is central to what you do and it's not just about a product i think we're a little unconventional in how we hire um and how we do things the good news is that we're here in west texas and there's great people around here um hospitality is I think just a part of growing up, people know how to treat people with a level of kindness that maybe you don't see in bigger cities. And so finding good people that want to come and work for us is, uh, is not hard. And that's, that's probably the best thing we have going for us is the people that we have working for us. But I think it goes back to just the culture we create in the shop. When you walk into our shop, people after being there for a little bit, know what to expect. They expect, you know, people behind the bar to treat them like they matter, no matter who they are, where they come from, what their background is, what religion they have, what their color of the skin is, what sexual orientation they are. If you're a person, then you matter. And that's at the core of, of our training is listen, everybody that walks in, we don't know their story, but we want to make sure that they feel when they walk away that for that moment that they were seen. And so we hired a lot of our first baristas that set that culture out of our seats. They were our guests. They sat in our seats. And so they already were a part of the culture. So it's not hard for them to understand our culture when they've already been a part of our culture. So I think that's what we have going for us is a lot of our, our baristas that we have, they've been in it for years. I mean, we have one of our, uh, she's actually my assistant roaster. Now she came in our, our door three days before we opened in Canyon. She was an eighth grader. She happened to be walking the square in the summer and she poked her head in and I was doing a training with some of our new baristas and so she's like, Hey, what's going on here? And I was like, well, why don't you come on in? We're making some drinks. We're about to open a coffee shop in a few days. Do you want to try some of our coffee? And so she's been around ever since then. And then when she turned 18, she came and applied with us and we hired her. And you know, now she's my assistant roaster. And so she sits down and she helps produce our coffee. So it's stories like that. I think is what, what makes us a little different about how we hire people. We do a month long training. And the very first thing we do is orientation. And that's me and my wife, Crystal. We sit down and we tell the story of Palace. We want people to understand why we started and, and how we feel like we're different. 
from there, we go into hospitality. So we don't go straight into the coffee. We go into taking care of people Mm -hmm. because that's what we're about. And the reason why we're good at coffee, and I do think we're good at coffee, it's because that's the product that we serve. And so we're going to learn as much about it as we can. We're going to train people to do things the way we think they should be done. But we're always going to keep that element of, of human connection at the forefront. There's a lot of um, stereotyping about the millennial generation, about you know the the generation of kids coming out of college right now, and that's I mean that's who you hire. Those those mm-hmm. young people are the core of of your employees. Is that something that you have found difficult to give them this culture and have them adopt it and um, you know and, and work hard to create what you're trying to create? I mean, are, are those stereotypes anything that you've ever seen? Um, At least around here, I guess. I think stereotypes happen for a reason. Uh, I think that the baby boomer stereotype and, and, you know, Generation Z now that's coming out and Gen Xers like us, um, I mean, those stereotypes are there because it's the culture that happens around the group of people. But what I've found is that specifically the millennial generation, they're a passion-led group of people. And if you look at our company and how we're based around taking care of people, it's based out of the passion we have for people. And so we've been able to utilize that generation, uh, those millennials to come in and be part of the key of, of who we are and how we take care of people. So I don't look at it as a detriment. I mean, what they have, they have a lot to offer. And what I have to offer is what I've learned growing up and and the experience I have. And so it's a different work ethic um, to a degree, but I'm not saying they're not hard workers. They are. They they run our company. They're they're the ones that are there day in and day out because as we've grown, I'm not the person behind the bar making the drinks anymore. Uh, And so I've got to trust our team and, and we have an amazing team of people that think differently than I do. And we have to allow ourselves as business owners who might be from a different generation to be shaped and molded by the people that come in and and work for us because it's not just about my vision. It's about getting the core vision that we had to start the company and then letting other people that are a part of the company help shape it to make it even better. And thankfully seven years in it's become a better company than what I could have ever envisioned. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that growth process because you started as a guy uh, or a couple that, that wanted to open a shop, but didn't have a business plan, you know, and and now you've got, multiple locations. You've got two locations downtown now, including mm-hmm. the annex. I mean, that that growth and the support of your efforts as an entrepreneur, do you feel like like Amarillo has been kind of, or Amarillo Canyon has been an essential part of that? I mean, when you were thinking about going to Tulsa or, or other places, you've made it work here. Mm-hmm. What do you attribute that to? I think it's because we love our community and our community loves to support local. That's one thing I do love about Amarillo and Canyon is that if if you're local and you'll put something out that's a good product, they'll come and support. And they've proven that time and time again. I don't know that our model would have worked in those other cities that we wanted to because we didn't know those communities as well as we know the place that we grew up. So I think that that is a key element. Now, our growth, how it's happened is I wanted to continue to provide more opportunities for people to engage with each other, to create more spaces for each other and that includes people that work for us, but also people that walk in our doors. Right. Not everybody could drive to Canyon and come and hang out with us. And I knew that. So after a year of, of having that shop going, we started looking at, well, what's next? Um, I get a little antsy and bored. I love projects. I like creating spaces. And so we started talking about different parts of Amarillo that could potentially use a coffee shop. And this was five years ago. So downtown, you know, wasn't quite what it's becoming now. And so we decided to go and take a look and, and, uh, some people told us to go look at the Paramount building, that there was a space in there that was an old office space that, you know, was open for rent. And so we went and took a look at that and we were like, you know what, this seems like a good second step for us. You know, maybe downtown Amarillo could be what, you know, the square was for us in Canyon. Maybe we can help become a part of the spark that makes downtown right. Amarillo become something. And so we decided to put our money into downtown and, and open that second project that opened up a whole lot of opportunities for us to open a third project. We, you know, became a part of the downtown culture. And um, William Ware from Amarillo National Bank became one of our supporters for downtown. And we used to go out and cater a lot of their, you know, just events that they would do. And so when they took on a, a building in Southwest Amarillo, they wanted to have a tenant um, to come in. And so they asked us to come and be a part of that and to put our shop in in Southwest Amarillo. And so after some thinking, we decided that that seemed like a, a good third step for us. And we thought we were done. We thought we'd, you know, start roasting our own coffee and, you know, we'd be done with three shops. But then Amarillo College came and knocking on our door and they said, hey, 
the college kids, they want a coffee shop and we want a local one. So would you consider putting in a bid to put your, you know, your shop on campus? And I was like, well, Amarillo College is a great community and those kids deserve to have, you know, a really good coffee shop on campus. So if we do it, we're going to do it the whole way and make it feel like Palace and look like Mm -hmm. Palace. So this is what it would take. And Amarillo College said, yeah, we think that you'd be a good fit for us. And so they put us on campus. And that we, AC location is my favorite location. By is the it way. really? I, I just really like it there. You know, the, That's good. the kids coming in and yeah, it's lots got of a, space. I mean, there's... It's, it's a huge space. It's got a lot of energy. But if you were there before, you know, it was a room that people could use and meet in. But now I think it actually fits a, a good hub mm-hmm. for that community, which is great. And so again, so I thought we were done. Four locations, you know, who we got enough stuff going on. And then, you know, the people over at the the tower, the First Bank Southwest Tower now came and said, hey, listen, we really want you guys to take over the cafe space down here. And for us, it seemed silly because we had a coffee shop two blocks away from that place. So they asked what it would take to to go in over there. And we said, listen, it would have to be a whole new concept. It would still be our coffee. It would still have our branding somewhat attached to it, but it would need to be a different name. And we need to be more focused on food uh, in in a different environment. And so they said, sure, we like that concept, too. So. They invited us over there. So I think it's the culture that we've helped create in our shops that people like. And so they just keep asking us to to go be part of the culture they want to help create. Tell me about kindness is the cause. Kindness is the cause. So at the core of Who Palace is, we have a statement. It's be kind, serve great coffee. So every interaction point that we try to have, we try to make sure that kindness is a, is a key element in it. Um, you know, so for six years we've been living off of that. And I think that we've, you know, hit the mark a lot of times. Sometimes maybe we missed the mark and we overlooked the opportunity to be kind, but for the most part, it's been the core. Now for the past year, I started to really feel conflicted a little bit because I felt like we're able to help create kindness inside of our own walls. But what are we doing out in the community? Are we trying to find ways to create kindness outside of palace? And so I started thinking about, you know, what can we do that might be able to live on its own, even if Palace didn't exist anymore. And so kindness of the cause came out of that idea, you know, taking kindness out of our walls and into the world. There's a, there's a group of guys that I watch on YouTube called Yes Theory. Uh, and, and they have a, a pretty big following now. And their whole tagline is seek discomfort, is going out there and trying to do things uh, putting yourself in situations to where you potentially can get told no a lot, but then potentially you can get that yes. And so they had a, a, a bit that they did to where they went on a college campus and they were trying to find uh, people that could tell them about a random act of kindness that happened to them on campus that semester because they wanted to find that person. They wanted to go and fix up their dorm room or their, their, their apartment and make it the coolest apartment or dorm room on campus because they wanted to celebrate someone doing a random act of kindness. What they found was that people couldn't tell them a story of kindness that's happened to them on campus. Wow. It's not because kind acts weren't happening. It's because we're not aware of them. And we're in a community where we talk a lot about hospitality or kindness or when people talk about, well, what's different about Amarillo? It's always the people. Well, the people here are so nice. But the truth is, I guarantee if we were to walk down the street and say, hey, tell me about the last act of kindness that you witnessed or that you were a part of, a lot of us would have a hard time bringing that to recollection. I think that we see kind acts, but we just bypass them and the negative things stay with us. And so kindness is the cause is a a part of us to to try to recognize the kindness that's happening all around us or the kindness that we can create in in someone else's life. And so that's where the story really came from was me being challenged from this little video on YouTube to really start trying to make kindness as a part of a dialogue. How are you going about trying to do that. I mean, I know that you've, you've produced some videos, you've, you've got a Facebook page. We have. So, so what's, so, what does that campaign look like? So, I guess? yeah, so we have it. Our webpage is kindnessofthecause.com. So we believe there's three elements of, of, of this that we want to at least start the conversation. One is causing kindness. So we're trying to get people just to, to recognize that there might be a moment in your life for that, you know, or even just for that moment in that day to where you can cause kindness for someone else, whether that's a simple, you know, acknowledging them with eye contact and smiling at them or going and having a seat with them and having a conversation, holding doors open for people. That's just part of chivalry. But, you know, being intentional about why you're doing it, seeing someone on the side of the road instead of just passing them by because of your busy schedule, actually stopping and and checking to see if they're okay taking those small moments out of your life to actually cause kindness for someone else, which isn't trying to get anything back in return. It's completely being focused on someone else for that moment. 
That's the first thing. The second thing is capturing kindness. So you might see a story or a situation happen where someone else is, is being kind. It's taking your phone out and, and for 30 seconds, sharing that story with us on kindness of the cause, you can upload the video and say, Hey, I just saw this happen. And I thought it was a really cool thing. So then we're going to take those stories and we're going to try to populate our social media feed. Because right now, if you go on social media, it's a lot of negative. Mm -hmm. And so we want to try to help turn the dial a little bit from that negativity to some positivity. And so we figured if we can start showcasing some of these stories of kindness happening in our community, that can help in that way. The third way is to champion kindness. Um, We're in a community that's full of great nonprofits uh, and great businesses that are doing kind things for people. And so if you know of a business, if you know of a nonprofit that's doing kind things, you can go on there and share that business with us. And then we'll go out and we'll interview them and write a blog about them. So we can start telling the story of other businesses, and nonprofits in our area that are doing great things. And so Palace is a part of it because we have our cause latte program. We've been doing it from, since we started to try to help raise money for nonprofits. And so we want to use Palace as a brand to help launch this, but we want this to be further apart than just what palace is doing right that's kind of where we are right now for the past 15 years the wt enterprise center has been helping local entrepreneurs create and grow their businesses amarillo is an amazing place to start a business and the enterprise center is at the heart of it they've created a vibrant collaborative ecosystem where startup and existing companies emerge and grow companies from sage oil vac and altura engineering design to Blue Sage Pottery have been clients at one point or another, working with the Enterprise Center to take their business to the next level. So let's say you have a business idea, but you're not sure where to start, or you have an existing business, but you're going through growing pains. You're overwhelmed by things like funding or marketing or your business model or HR. The experts at the Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in the process and connect you with the right resources to grow your business. In fact, I believe so strongly in what they do that I serve as a volunteer mentor for Enterprise Center clients. Learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Patrick Burns of Palace Coffee. Patrick, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. It's one of my favorite parts. Okay, good. I hope (laughs) hope this one is one of your favorite parts. Uh, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you would like to. Uh, the first one is one that I put together specifically for you. Okay. Um, and it's based on a conversation that we've had in the past. So you've mentioned before that you think each of Amarillo's coffee shops, I mean, there are multiple businesses mm-hmm. running coffee shops, that, that they all play a particular role, a necessary role within this culture. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I want, I want you to explain that a little bit more about how, you know, how competition is good, but how everybody kind of has a, a place and is serving a, a particular need. Yeah. So I think what makes a good, unique community is having places where you feel like you fit. And I know that not everybody feels like they fit at Palace. We, we want to be there for everybody. We want it to be a, a great, kind environment for people to walk in. But I know that some people just don't maybe like the aesthetic that we have, or they might not like the way that we do coffee. And so I know that there's other great shops in town that do coffee in ways that are a little bit different than ours. And so hopefully everybody finds a way to, to fit in with, with those other shops as well. Because the more people that are drinking specialty coffee, it's better for us as, as, as an industry. Um, you know, there's this statement, uh, a rising tide raises all ships. And, and I really believe that. While competition is good because it keeps us on our game to make sure we don't get complacent, um, we also can help champion other people that are in our same industry, even if they're not very far away from us. Because not everybody can, you know, come into Palace because we don't have drive throughs mm-hmm. And so if someone really wants coffee and they can't stop in, and, you know, and, and grab a cup from us, but they're in a different part of town that maybe we don't have a shop in, then I would love them to go and support another local coffee shop because that's important to our economy. And, and I think there's some other great local coffee shops that are out there. I think everyone does have their key element to them that makes them different. And I think that, you know, I could, I could tell you what I think is great about each one of those coffee shops. Do I want to ask specifically about roasters because roasters yeah. is the other, you know, the, the large multiple location yeah. uh, coffee shop and they've been around, you know, for decades. 26 years now, 27 yeah, tell, years. Yeah. Tell me about some of the, maybe the groundwork that roasters laid in this area that kind of allowed you guys to come yeah, in. I mean, roasters started over in Wolfland. Um, and so, and they were a walk-in coffee shop and you know, that's where I would go and get coffee, um, back in the day and they did great taking care of people and they helped introduce, you know, especially coffee into 
this area. You know, granted, we did have you know the big green machine, the Starbucks, you know, that was around as well. But they were um, roasting they their came, own. Yeah, I mean, they were yeah they were roasting their own. So Starbucks came in later after roasters, and so they did a good job kind of creating that culture. And so they've transitioned and changed, and and you know they definitely take care of a lot of people. There's I would say there's more people probably that that drink roasters coffee in our community than drink palace or evocation or you know urbana all combined just because they do have that that drive-through culture and they're great at volume um but yeah they really get to know their customers too they know names they know drinks and, and i know a lot of their baristas um and so so yeah they do a good job um they definitely they have a different roast profile than you know what we have and, and what evocation has and and so i think there's people that like that style of coffee as well and just like there's people that like the you know different style of coffee that we bring to the table as well uh i want to ask this question and i know it it may force you to be like choosing your favorite child but do you have a particular palace location that maybe is your favorite or that you feel like is you know the the ultimate palace location that that does the most of what you want to do um I can't say there's one location that does that. I can tell you what I like about each location as well. And so, okay. yeah, do yeah. That. So Canyon is the, it's the heart. It's where we started. And so that place will always have, um, have a fond memories. It's, it's the first love that you have. And so without that location, we wouldn't be here. Um, downtown now specifically, it, it, we, we were, we were able to keep the core of who we were, but change our aesthetic. You know, we became more of a business culture type style, um, for that shop because it's in the business district right. of Amarillo. And so we needed to change. And so we kept the core of who we were, but we were able to change the style and now it's our roastery as well. And so I'm down there quite a bit roasting our coffee. And so that place has been great because we've been able to, to create a whole new part of our company out of it. Summit is the busiest shop that we have. Um, I got to try out something brand new, which was the center bar concept to where people actually get to sit at the bar and hang out with our baristas. Uh, we pay a lot of attention to who we hire, that they have great personalities, mm-hmm. but it's tough because you order a drink, you get your drink, you go sit down. Well, that was a whole new way of creating an element to where the baristas get to stay and interact and engage with people. And it's worked out well. Um, AC was good because we get to help be a part of the community of AC. Like that culture is, is really unique, I think for our, for our community. And so to be able to help create a new culture there is really special for us. And then the annex is brand new and yeah, it's so a, it's a whole new we'll food concept. So we'll see that. how that, how that goes. What does this area have too much of? This area has too much tribal mentality. All right. Let me explain that for me. We love what we love and we like to be around like-minded people who love what we love. It makes it easier. It makes it comfortable. You have common vernacular. But there's a danger in that because you're not able to have dialogue with people that are differing. And I think where growth really happens is through dialogue and, and honest dialogue, where sometimes it can get a little heated um, if you have differing opinions. But it's dangerous to always look at someone across from you who has a differing opinion and line them up as the enemy. And it's silly around here. Like, it's even like, well, where do you go get coffee? Well, we're, you know, loyal palace people. And so, you know, I got people all the time coming up to me and saying, oh my gosh, I felt so bad. I had to go over here for, I for coffee. Yeah, I apologize for that. It's like, why are you apologizing? Like, it's okay. It's great that you like what we do, but you don't, you don't owe me an apology. Thanks for supporting another shop, you know, but it's, it's like that with restaurants. It's like that with where you shop. It's like that with where people go to church around here. It just, you get into this microcosm and then that dangerously becomes an echo chamber. And then you think everybody around you is like you. And then you start looking at the people that are different than you as the enemy. And I think, I think that Amarillo has a lot of great things going for it. But I think that tribal mentality is something that's a little dangerous. What does Amarillo not have enough of? This area does not have enough forward-thinking infrastructure. Okay. So um, that's, a, that's a complicated phrase. It Walk is. A complica- it. So for our community to keep growing and, and for things to, to work well in the future, we've got to start thinking about our needs, what our needs are going to be, and mm-hmm. not just what we currently have. I'm sure we can all talk about the frustrations of our traffic issues right now and, and all the construction are happening. A lot of that's happened because we put construction, road construction, on the back burner for a little while. And then all of a sudden, oh, man, everything needs to be fixed. Right. Well, then it causes a problem for us for a little while, you know, and so then everybody gets negative and grumbles and and hates life for, you know, the next six months to a year because they have to wait an extra five minutes to get someplace. So I think if we would continually think about growth and how it's going to affect us and start doing small changes now, I think that'll help us in the long run. Yeah. I mean, what we're facing now is that because of some of the development that's happening you know, on the west side of town or southwest, even the southeast side of town, mm-hmm. it's 
it's limited mm -hmm. because that infrastructure of sewer lines and water mains and all those things was not originally put in to support that kind of growth, that right. kind of population. And so now we're having to redo all of that so that we can build. Right. And, and I think that we have the desire to become bigger and, 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 um, create a better community for all of us, but it takes time and it takes work and we have to be forward thinking, you have to, to kind of think of what's next. And so I think we, we just need to start thinking ahead. So you've, uh, you've traveled extensively, uh, representing this area in coffee competitions and, and other things. So how do you describe Amarillo to people who think, well, it may be some small town outside of Austin, you know, when, when they're like, who are these guys from Amarillo? How do you describe this area yeah, to them? The default is that it's, it's a, it's a place with great people. Um, and I, and I, I, I go back, I think that we just have uh, a way of, of hospitality around here, um, which hospitality is just taking care of people. Even if you don't feel like taking care of people, you still will step out and take care of someone. So I think that's part of it, but I think it's, there's a lot of other things that, that are around here that I like to talk about. And uh, it's like, we're a diamond in the rough. People don't think about it and we're covered, you know, with a bunch of dirt because you know, the, the wind blows here nonstop. But once you actually dig, dig, dig a little bit underneath that dirt, you see that, wow, there's a lot of really great things here. The culture around here is amazing. I mean, the art culture, the theater culture, um, music, live music is starting to come back around again, which has been fantastic to see. Um, we happen to host one of those coffee competitions, a prelim, and people from all over the nation came in. We had people from, you know, the Northwest that came in. We had people from, you know, uh, Kansas City. We had people from Arkansas. People, you know, came to little old Amarillo, Texas, not knowing what to expect. And so they definitely were expecting, you know, not much. But we were able to showcase that, man, there's some cool things around here. And uh, hearing them talk to other people in the coffee industry saying, you know what, I really enjoyed Amarillo. There's a lot more to it than people think. And so I, that's, that's how I like to describe it as, as a place that you don't expect much when you fly over it. You don't expect much when you drive through it. But once you actually open your eyes to what all Amarillo has to offer, you're going to be surprised. When was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? Last time I went to Cadillac Ranch... Uh, probably picking my son up. He had an eighth grade trip, um, with his class that he went out there. And so he had to leave early. So I drove out there and picked him up. Um, I talk about Cadillac Ranch a lot. Uh, you know, the cool thing about coffee shops is we kind of, I, I consider us the concierge of the, the community because mm -hmm. people drive, you know, in and out or they're here for business and they always ask, Hey, what should we do? Where should I eat? What should I go and get into? And so we kind of get to talk about, you know, the really cool things about Amarillo that makes it unique. Cadillac Ranch is one of those things. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? My favorite neighborhood. Well, since we've bought three different houses in the same neighborhood, um, we're pretty fond of Olson Park. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's not the oldest neighborhood in town, but it's an older neighborhood. It's It's got unique houses there. Uh, the house that we're next to is actually uh, an architect who he built it. And it's it's one of the most unique houses in, in all of Olson. And so I get to see this really unique architecture every day when I walk out my front door. Um, but it's a, it's a nice community. People, you know, still walk around and walk their dogs and, and talk to each other. You know, it's also a community that has houses that range from a hundred thousand dollars all the way up to, you know, 300,000, $400,000. Right. And so it's not just one type of person that lives there. It's a true microcosm of, of Amarillo. This is another question that's just for you. Um, what coffee based drink should people be ordering more of? I want you to like you know, open our eyes to, to something beyond just getting your basic black drip yeah. Monarch coffee at Palace. Yeah. So uh, here, this might surprise you. The coffee drink you should be ordering more of is the coffee drink that you like the taste of, period. All right. We don't so need you to- So don't, you don't want to expand our, our taste horizons? I do, horizons. but I want people to understand first and foremost, if you like a drink that's on the sweeter side, that has a lot of, you know, um, of syrup in it or, you know- different flavors to it that isn't just coffee forward. We're okay with that. And we like that too. And we're glad that you're in our shop hanging out and drinking that coffee. So there's a pretentiousness to people, you know, or that people sometimes put on coffee shops is that, Oh, well I'm going to put cream and sugar in this coffee. So they're, I'm going to have to hide this. Yeah. From the so barista. They who's so they don't judge know. Me. Right. We're not going to judge you. Like we want you to drink coffee. Like, like you want to drink it. Now we might ask you, Hey, before you put that cream and sugar in that coffee, you might take a sip of it to see how much you need. It's like, you know, 
tasting your food before you salt it. You know, you never know. You might not need to add any salt to that food. You might not need to add any cream and sugar to that really good Ethiopian naturally processed coffee because it has notes of, you know, strawberry and these really cool things that might get covered up if you put too much stuff in there. Um, so yeah, that's really, ultimately we want you to, to drink the coffee that you like, but we do want to start walking people to taste more coffee for drinks because that's what the industry that we're in. Um, we just added a, a, a new, uh, drink to our menu this year, uh, called the one in one. And so that's the drink that I really would love people to be able to come in and try. And it's really simple. Um, we take a shot of espresso and, and we actually pull it into two different vessels and one we serve as just an espresso by itself. And then we serve one with steamed milk on it, a little cortado. Had so, one yesterday, in you, fact. Yeah, what do you think? I, I, I like it that way. Yeah. I mean, and I've been, I use, my usual order is a cortado mm-hmm. um, at your shops. But I did like the ability to try it, you know, with the, the milk and stuff. And then also to try it just alone. Yeah. Um, to get a sense of, of the actual taste yeah, of it. Yeah, what the flavors are and, mm-hmm. and how, you know, properly steamed milk can really, you know, bring out a lot of different styles of flavors, you know, outside of the espresso. So Plus it so, comes out with like three different containers on yeah. a cool little tray and people ask, what are you doing? What What is that? Right. So. It's, it's not a little science experiment. It's just a way to taste things. And so, so, yeah. So I think that's one of the cool new drinks that we get to serve right now. So. Okay. So that concludes the eight straight section of the show. Patrick, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something related to the area. So what's something locally that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? So I've done a lot of thinking about this too. Um, I want to endorse uh, not necessarily anything specific, but a way of thinking that I think would help our community at large. And that is getting outside of our own little bubbles. I think that we, we do have that ability just to kind of keep our head down and not interact with the world around us. And I think what makes Amarillo different is we have a lot of unique places in town that maybe we never go to. I mean, there's, you know, going off Grand Street, you know, on the other side of town, there's the Boulevard. There's so many other unique businesses that we don't interact with. There's different styles of people that live in this town that maybe we never get to interact or, 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 or bump shoulders with. And I think we need to, to see that our community is bigger than what we think it is, that there it's, it's full of interesting stories. And I think your podcast is, is helping tell the stories of amazing people. And I think that we can interact with those same people on a day-to-day basis. If we'll just get out of our own little bubble, our own comfort zone and keep our heads up and, and look for those opportunities, go enjoy Amarillo. Don't just live here and, and work here, but go enjoy it. Go take a walk in your neighborhood and look at houses in a different way. You know, go go walk downtown, you know, and see that there are some things that are changing. Um, drive to the other part of town that maybe you haven't gone to uh, in, in a while and just kind of see what things are, are happening over there that's different. Because this community is changing quite a bit. And trust me, you want to be a part of it. Patrick Burns, thanks so much for being on the Hey Marilla podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. I had a great time. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to the Enterprise Center and Wick Realty for sponsoring the show and to Patrick Burns for the interview. Uh, you can learn more about Palace by visiting palacecoffee.co. C-O. And full disclosure, Patrick is one of this podcast's supporters on Patreon. Um, but, I mean, rest assured, if I were the type of host to ask hard-hitting questions, his support would not influence me in the slightest. Of course, this really isn't a hard-hitting podcast, so nobody has anything to worry about. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include, yes, Patrick Burns, also Neil Nossiman, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, no relation to Patrick that I know of, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. You can help produce the show, too, by visiting patreon.com slash Amarillo. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.